0: Uh, This morning, we're going to take a break from our journey through the book of Matthew. Uh, So if you would, please turn in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Now, if you're less familiar with Jeremiah or less familiar with the Bible, Jeremiah is a little bit towards the middle of the Bible. If you're in Psalms or Isaiah, you want to go a little bit further ahead. If you're in Ezekiel, you've gone too far. So Jeremiah chapter 3. As you turn there, uh, one 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 of the things that I enjoy... One of the questions I enjoy asking is, why are things structured the way they are? Uh, just this past week, I was I- in Kentucky, and I was driving with a, uh, a guy who just recently moved there from California, and we were talking about the way the roads are laid out. And I find it fascinating to ask those questions. Why, why are the roads laid out this way, and not that way? And so he's from California in the West, and things tend to be on a grid. In, in Kentucky, in Louisville, it's anything but a grid. It's like a wheel that just goes around and around. It's kind of crazy. The, uh, but there's a reason for it. All the, the, the answers to these questions, they, they tell a story. And so they might tell a story about uh, the way things moved along a river and then how maybe wagons and horses traveled from one place to another. Uh, and they tell the story about the lay of the land. And because a mountain was here or a hill was here or maybe a big rock that somebody couldn't get through was here, the road goes over here. And these, these stories are all over the place around us. Uh, everything that we see and everything that we experience from the neighborhoods we live in to the roads we drive to even the, the companies we might work for, they all tell a story about why something is structured one way and not another. Now, have you ever wondered this for the church? Why is the church structured one way and not another? Why is it structured the way that it is? Why is it organized this way and not that way? Is it, is it pragmatism? Is it over time, over 2,000 years of church history, the church has kind of figured this thing out and developed a, a way to govern itself? So it has members and it has pastors and it has deacons and it has programs and it has corporate gatherings and it has small group meetings and all these things. Over 2,000 years, we finally figured it out. Is that why the church is structured the way it is? It's not pragmatism. Maybe it's common sense. Maybe it's just we see business models in the world and we see CEOs and we see boards and we see middle managers and we see all this stuff. Maybe that's why the church is structured the way it is. No, it's not that either. The church is structured the way it is because this was God's good design. God has always been at work in the world creating and choosing and delivering and providing for and preserving a people for his own glory. The church is structured and organized then the way it is because this is God's good plan to care for his people. There are many ways that God could have decided to carry out this plan to care for his people. But he chose the church with these two offices, elders and deacons, to carry out his mission and to care for God's people. Now, this morning, I want to give attention to why God gave, why God structured things this way, why God gave elders to the church. Now, while there are many places we can go to see God's good pa- plan to care for his people put on display, I want us to give our attention to a promise made in the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to, we're gonna, actually going to, over the course of this sermon, we're going to go all over the Bible. Uh, one of the One of the things that I love about our gatherings is we gather around God's Word, and there is no book like this book. In this book, this book was written over about 1,500 years, written by around 40 different people, so from different places, different times, all telling one story, and all with one author behind it all, God breathing out His Word that we might know Him and we might receive Him as our God. Now we're going to look at uh, this verse in Jeremiah, but I want to give you a little bit of context before we look at this verse. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was prophesying around the time of, before the time and around the time of the fall of Judah. If you remember your Old Testament history, there's not going to be a test after this, but just by way of reminder, the people of God were known as Israel, named after, after Jacob. And Israel one point was governed by kings and you had Saul as the first king and then David and then in subsequent generations this kingdom of Israel split into a northern and a southern kingdom and you had Israel and you had Judah. Israel was the first kingdom to fall because they rebelled against God. They turned away from God and Jeremiah comes along and is and his calling the people of Judah to repentance, to turn from the same path that the people of Israel were on. To turn from this way, and he tells them of a coming judgment. Then he also tells of a coming deliverance. So we read this in Jeremiah chapter 3. Right in the midst of this prophesied judgment comes this promise in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. This is the word of God. And the Lord said, I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So in the midst of this rebellious, wayward people that are on the brink of disaster, of tragedy, God tells them that I will give you shepherds after my own heart. I want you to notice a couple things about this verse before we go on. First, God says that I will give you shepherds after my own heart. He doesn't say I will give you shepherds with a good heart. The heart matters, but it's not a good heart. It's after my own heart. The shepherds that God promises are those who are followers before their leaders. They're shepherds after God's own heart. This means that they have their eyes fixed on God. They know his heart and they seek to do what he does. They're after his own heart. And then these shepherds, they will feed you with knowledge and understanding. These shepherds, their, their intention is to provide sustenance, to feed this people with knowledge and understanding. And This knowledge and understanding is is knowledge of God and His works. This is what they're tasked to do. This is what God has seen fit to do for His church. He gives them shepherds. Now we're gonna we're gonna continue to ask this question: Why? Why shepherds? Uh, but before we get there, I just want to highlight the the significance of this day in the life of our church. Uh, today uh, is a day now about eight years into our church's life, where God has seen fit to uh, provide us John Loftness as an elder, as a pastor, as a shepherd for this church. And this is a day of, of rejoicing. It's a, uh, a wonderful day of rejoicing. We are so grateful that God has brought us John and Nancy both. Uh, and we want to celebrate God's kind provision for us in this moment. And that's why we're taking this break from Matthew. We're collectively, this morning, recognizing and affirming again God's call on John's life to care for, to teach, and to lead lead God's church. So God's plan to care for his people has been to appoint shepherds as an extension and an expression of his own love and care. And that's what we see this morning. We see this being fulfilled, this promise in Jeremiah 3.15, that God will give shepherds to his people after his own heart. That's what we're witnessing and experiencing this morning. It's an extension and expression of God's own love and care, of his own, of God's own provision, protection, and guidance. So this is the promise given in Jeremiah 3.15, but it doesn't start in Jeremiah 3.15. So we're going to take a a brief journey through scripture and think about this theme of shepherds, God giving shepherds as a, a model, an example of the leadership that it takes to care for his people. Now, we could start with Abraham, who was a sojourner in the wilderness. We could go to all of the flocks that he cared for. We could go to Isaac, and we could go to Jacob, as he cared for his many flocks. We could do that in Genesis, but we're actually going to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to go to Moses. Moses. Moses was a man whom God called out and commissioned to care for his people as a shepherd cares for his sheep. So in Psalm 7720, we read this. It says, God, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, they, they functioned as shepherds for the people of God. Now if you're uh, just to jog your memory a bit on, on Moses's history, Moses was a Hebrew born. He was put into the Nile and picked up by a princess of Egypt. And he was raised as a prince of Egypt. That power might have gotten to his head a little bit. And he uh, he killed a man. And he fled. He fled Egypt and he fled into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness... He happened upon these seven sisters, the daughters of Jethro, who were themselves shepherdesses. They cared for sheep. And I don't know if you remember, but in in, uh, Exodus it tells of Moses, the time when Moses met these daughters of Jethro. And they were out feeding their sheep, or bringing them to water to get a drink. And there were some shepherds that came and were not letting them. Provide for their sheep. And Moses came before these shepherds and sent them on their way. And these shepherdesses were then able to care for their sheep. Now, these shepherdesses, they go back to their father Jethro and they tell Jethro about this. And he says, Where is this man? And bring him here right now. And so Moses eventually comes and uh, Jethro gives Moses one of his daughters to marry. And Moses then, for the next 40 years, Cares for the flocks of Jethro in the wilderness of Midian, caring for these sheep. And it's in that context that God calls Moses to leave these flocks and go to his flock in Egypt. And through Moses, God works deliverance for his people. He leads them, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. And I think it's It's fascinating as you start to think through all the implications of Moses being a shepherd of God's people. When you think about the fact that Moses was given a couple tools by which he was going to work this deliverance. And one of those tools was a staff. It was his staff. And God gave this staff supernatural powers so that Moses could put God's wonders and works on display. So you think about everything from Moses casting down his staff and it turning to a snake, to Moses touching the Nile and it turning to blood, to the point where in Exodus 14 the people come before the Red Sea. And there they are, trapped. Egyptians on one side, sea on the other. Imminent doom. And God tells Moses in Exodus 14 to lift up his staff and hold up his hand. And watch what I'll do. So God, working through Moses, through the staff, this, this shepherd's tool that he's given him, has Moses do this. And the people cross on dry land. shortly thereafter, after they've been delivered from, from the danger of the Egyptians through the Red Sea, the people of Israel are thirsty. And they think they're going to die. And they're grumbling and complaining. And again, God tells Moses to take this staff and strike this rock. And watch what I'll do. So Moses, as a good shepherd, leads this people like a flock. He leads them with their staff. And then toward the end of Moses' life, Moses speaks to God. And he asks God to to provide another man who might come before this congregation, this group of people. And it says this in Numbers 27, that, that this guy might go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd so moses asked god give us another shepherd who might go out before this people and come in before them who might lead them and we see in joshua that god does just that he provides them a shepherd now the the story of israel is littered with shepherds who were unfaithful who failed but they all led the way to one shepherd who became king and that was david in psalm 78 it says that psalm 78 verses 70 through 72 this is what it says god chose david his servant and took him from the sheepfolds from following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd jacob his people israel his inheritance with upright heart He shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. And when we're first introduced to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's when Samuel comes to the sons of Jesse, and he is called by God to anoint a king. And as he comes, he he goes through seven of Jesse's sons. And every time the Lord says, not this one, 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 seven times. And Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse tells him, yeah, well, I have one more, but he's off in the field taking care of our sheep. And Samuel says, bring him here at once. And David comes, and he is anointed king. Then the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, we see Goliath come before the people of Israel. And he is mocking them and taunting them and threatening them. And David, who is out caring for the sheep, is sent by his father to go and give some food to his brothers. So he does this. And as he's beginning to figure out what's going on and seeing the the cowardice of the people of Israel, he begins asking questions. And his oldest brother overhears him asking these questions. And he says, David, where are the sheep? What in the world are you doing here? Who's taking care of the sheep? You should be back there taking care of the sheep. And David pays no mind to this. And David eventually gets an audience with Saul, the king. And he tells Saul that someone should stand up and defeat Goliath. And I'll do it. And Saul says, no way, you're way too young. And David then tells Saul about his experience as a shepherd. Once again, I mean, his shepherd was just so fundamental to his identity. This is where he goes. And he tells Saul about the time that he killed a lion. He tells Saul about the time that he killed a bear. And he doesn't attribute it to his own strength, his own ability, his own wisdom, or anything like that. He attributes it to the power of God. He says, God was with me, and God enabled me to kill this bear and this lion. And just like God did that, he's going to let me allow me to kill this giant, And sure enough, as you well know, David defeats Goliath. This shepherd, this shepherd boy, comes as the instrument that God uses to work deliverance for his people, to care for his people. And it doesn't end there. As you know, David reigned as king for for several years and continued to lead and to guide and to provide for and to protect the people of God. David came as a shepherd after God's own heart. Now, he wasn't perfect by any means, and the Bible is quite clear about that. But he was a shepherd who protected and provided for and guided God's people. But even as David acted as the shepherd of God's people, he knew that he was but an under-shepherd of God. Remember that promise in Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. This was David. David is the one who wrote, not of himself, but of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, as this shepherd king, looked to the Lord as his true shepherd. And as he looked to the lord he shepherded god's people now israel as i mentioned they they didn't always have good shepherds leading them there were many bad shepherds and we can read about them in first kings and second kings and first and second chronicles the the prophets also had many words to say about bad shepherds And so we read in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 34, there's another instance where These shepherds are spoken about. These bad shepherds are spoken about. And Ezekiel writes this. Actually, if you want to turn there, it's just a few pages over from Jeremiah. Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Ezekiel prophesies this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, For all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Here we have these examples of, of bad shepherds who were self serving, who, who were in it for selfish gain. They did not care for the weak or strengthen the weak, they did not care for the sick or nurture the sick. They did not bring back the straying sheep. And so the sheep were scattered without a shepherd. But then we see, again, this promise made. If you skip down to verse 10, Ezekiel 34, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. And listen to this. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. I will rescue. Ezekiel 34 goes on to describe what God will do as he rescues these sheep. Verse 11, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. This is God speaking. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. What a sweet promise. You think about Psalm 23 and the promise that, that or the, the devotion that David expressed as he expressed the Lord as my shepherd. We see this promise of fulfillment of that reality right here. I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So everything the bad shepherds did, the good shepherd comes to undo. He comes to do the complete opposite. The uh, passage Joey read earlier, Isaiah 40, it, it is in the context of God bringing comfort to his people. So Isaiah 40, verse 1 is comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. In verses 10 and 11, God says this Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is what God comes to do. And this shepherd who is prophesied about is finally seen in all his grace and glory as we come to the New Testament with the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew opens up his gospel. We looked at this a few months ago. In Matthew 2, verse 6, Matthew talks about the fact that Jesus came from Bethlehem. And he points to the prophet Micah. He says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So from Bethlehem comes Jesus, the one who will shepherd God's people. In Mark six thirty-four, it's in the context of Jesus beginning his ministry. And at one point, Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee, and he, he ends up on a, a hillside in, in some kind of wilderness. And Jesus looks out at all the people, and he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. In Luke 10 and Luke 11 and Luke 15, we see this mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. Remember Ezekiel 34, that that I will come and I will care for and I will nurture and I will bind up the wounds. This was Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus tells this story in Luke 15 of the lost sheep. He says in Luke 15:4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven for one, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Hear the, hear the joy and the compassion and the love of our Savior, who will go after the one. And then in John 10, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd ultimately Jesus comes and he reveals himself as this good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Now this is an incredible revelation. Shepherds like David would certainly risk their lives in order to protect their sheep. That was part and parcel of what they did. That was part of the job description. But in John ten eleven, Jesus says that he came to lay down his life for the sheep. He came to deliberately die for his flock. Now that stretches this metaphor a bit, doesn't it? No shepherd willingly dies for his sheep. He might risk his life for a sheep, but no shepherd dies for his sheep. Intentionally, deliberately. But that's what Jesus, the good shepherd, came to do. We see here that not only does Jesus come as good shepherd, but as the good shepherd he also comes as the sacrificial lamb. We just sang about this just a moment ago. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And then it tells us how Christ has won the night. Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. He was raised to overthrow the power of death, to overthrow the grave. So, brothers and sisters, to this we hold, our sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is our plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ, the shepherd king in me. Now, it's this model, this picture of shepherds that God gives throughout Scripture that provides the basis for pastors caring for God's people. We see this at the end of John, in John 21. John records this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus asks Peter, Do you love me? And Peter says, Yes, Lord, of course I love you. And Jesus says, Then feed my lambs. And again Jesus asks, Do you love me? And Peter says, Yes, of course I love you. And Jesus responds, Then tend my sheep. And again, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, of course, you know all things, Lord. Of course, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, it's this Peter who writes in 1 Peter 5. And he exhorts the elders of the church there. He says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, "...shepherd the flock of God that is among you." Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter calls the elders to shepherd, to care for, to provide for, to protect, to guide the people of God in their care of God. And he and he says to do this do this willingly. Exercise this leadership willingly. Do it eagerly as you serve, not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, not domineering, but humbly. So this call then as shepherds to care for the church. How do how do pastors do this? They simply give what God has already given. Larry or myself or John, we have nothing to give this church other than what God in his grace has already given us in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we are a people of the word. That's where we are a people who proclaim the word day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. We are a people of this book because in this book, we, we know God. What pastoring is all about is just being errand boys for Christ it's giving out the good gifts of God in Christ that we have already received. So that's how we feed the sheep. And we protect the sheep by guarding this good deposit. We protect the sheep by guarding it against outside wolves and, and false gospels and heresies that seek to threaten the church. We protect this church by protecting it from, from gossip and slander that seek to undermine the witness of this church. We protect this church by reproving and exhorting and challenging you, the members of this church. And we guide this church by preaching the word of God, by consistently praying for you, by coming alongside you. One thing that is, I love about this metaphor of shepherds is, I don't know if you've ever been around a shepherd, I haven't, but I've read about them, and they smell like sheep. And this is God's intention. And this is exactly what Jesus did. So as pastors, elders, overseers, what we are called to do is to smell like sheep because we are sheep. There is not some separate track of Christian that Larry and John are on, John and I are on. We are all in this together. It's, it's a funny thing being up here preaching on shepherds and pastors and elders. And that's actually a funny thing every week that I preach. Because there's this sense in which I'm not qualified for this, because I need this. Like so, when I preach, I think of myself sitting out there receiving this, because I don't have anything to say on my own. I only have to say what God has already said. That's that's my task. That's our job. Aaron boys for Christ. And so I want to give you what's already been given in Christ. Now, to what end? Why? So why does God purpose to care for his people in this way? Why does he use this metaphor of shepherds? This is all about the building of God's church and the building up of his people for his glory. Why does the shepherd labor? Why does the shepherd continue to fight to provide for and to protect and to guide his sheep? He labors so that they might, those sheep might be healthy and grow and ultimately so those sheep might reproduce. So that there might be more sheep. The same is true for pastors. Pastors labor because of the Great Commission. We labor to make disciples. We teach with knowledge and understanding in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4. For building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what we desire for Grace Church. This is what we desire for each of you, that you might grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And by God's grace, God will do it. His Spirit will work in you that which is good and glorifying to his name. So God gives the church under shepherds to represent him among his people. And one of my favorite pictures of, just to stretch this metaphor a little bit further, one of my favorite pictures of this metaphor, God using shepherds, is of a sheepdog. A sheepdog. A sheepdog... I This past week, I actually did a little bit of uh, YouTube research. I mean, it was pretty academic stuff. And uh, I l- watched a couple uh, sheepdog competitions. I didn't watch them in, in their entirety, but I watched a f- few sheepdogs carry out their stuff. And these dogs... These competitions are something else. I'd never seen one before. It's pretty wild. So there's there this huge open field, and there's a shepherd at one end of it. And the shepherd has to stand in the box at the one end of the field, and he, all he can do is stand there and shout commands. And then you have three sheep that are just out there wandering around like sheep do, and you have a dog. And this dog has two, two things that he has to do the dog has to listen to the commands of the shepherd, and the dog can't get between the shepherd and the sheep. And the reason the dog can't get between the shepherd and the sheep is because if the dog gets between the shepherd and the sheep, then the dog is going to be driving the sheep away from the shepherd. So the dog constantly is sprinting all over the place, trying to keep these sheep corralled and directed in the direction that the shepherd is calling them to go. And The sheep are tiresome, and they are stubborn. But this dog, tail wagging the entire time, tongue out, just bounding all around, joyfully guides these sheep, joyfully leads these sheep where the shepherd directs them. Now, what's interesting as well is in these competitions— They've got specific points that they're supposed to get through. So at one point, they're supposed to get the uh, sheep to go counterclockwise around the shepherd. And then at another point, they're supposed to get them to go through these two gates with a one-meter opening. And then at another point, they're supposed to get the sheep to go into the pen. That's where it, that's where it ends. Now, the dog, when they start, they don't have any idea where the sheep are going to go. All the, shepherd, the sheepdog cares about is listening to the commands of the shepherd and joyfully following the commands of the shepherd. The shepherd, meanwhile, has this grand plan for what he wants to do with these sheep. And the sheepdog just simply becomes an agent of this shepherd. They're they're working out a plan that they can't see the entirety of, but they joyfully and willingly take part in, delightedly and eagerly. The only way the sheepdog can do this, is if that sheepdog has this relationship, this close relationship with the shepherd. And this close relationship is is developed over much time spent with the shepherd. Much time spent at the feet of the shepherd. Listening to the shepherd. Heeding the directions of the shepherd. Learning from the shepherd. So, God gives his people under shepherds or we might call them sheepdogs to care for his, to, sh- to care for his sheep. This is an expression of God's just benevolent kindness, His gracious care for His people. And as under shepherds, as sheepdogs, again we don't stand on anything of our own, only what has already been revealed, already been seen in Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, let us thank God for His care, for His provision, for His kindness to us. In giving us first his word, which reveals him as the good shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, every one of us. So we want to give thanks to him for what he's given us. And this morning in particular, we want to give thanks to God in providing John to be a shepherd of this church. John is a a a gift to both larry and i he's a gift to many of you as several of you have a, a long history with him and he will serve us as he serves the Lord in providing for this church through teaching feeding this feeding us feeding the sheep in protecting the church in his teaching and his commitment to God's word and his example in guiding the church through his example and his love and his care what a gift he is to our church so I'm going to close in prayer and then I'm going to invite John to come up and uh, as as part of uh, let me pray and then I'll actually explain that <laughs> father thank you thank you for your goodness to us and your provision for us in your word which reveals you as the good shepherd Thank you for your kindness to us in providing us, John, to be a shepherd of this church. Lord, would you bless the labors of his hands? Would these next years of his ministry abound with fruitfulness for your glory? Lord, may his, his labors strengthen this church. May it strengthen the roots of this church, that we might bear much fruit, the glory of your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.